the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp. We are a safe haven for anyone questioning their faith, ex-evangelicals, restless evangelicals who want to address certain doctrines, progressive Christians, church burnouts, spiritual refugees, you name it, <laughs> the spiritual but not religious. And today we are very lucky to have Karen Schock with us. She's a author and podcaster and a beautiful thinker, as we will learn. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. We um, we met in Nashville, Tennessee at the uh, Choir Publishing con uh, Conference. That was a great experience. And Karen's going to share her experiences described in her new book, Too Much and Not Enough, Sacred Thoughts Said Out Loud. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We've already gotten to know each other in Nashville a little bit and also just found out that we have all, all these connections. And, and that's one of the reasons why I asked you on the podcast. I mean, we've got some background together with this denomination called Sovereign Grace Ministries, a guy named C.J. Mahaney, uh, Josh Harris, who was part of the purity culture. And we'll get into all that. But uh, I really love your, uh, your way of um, writing and your style and and uh, also all the things that you came up with when when you started talking about how to rebuild faith after deconstructing conservative Christianity and how it's so much more historical. And I think it's very beautiful the way that you framed it. So um, I, I'm so glad that you're with us today. So I thought maybe what we could do is start off by um, just asking you, why did you decide to write this book and, and what's your goal in writing this book? Um too much and not enough? Great question. So always have been, since I was little, a journal writer, always written in journals, have all these journals, stacks of journals in my basement. And somehow in about 2015, 2016, around in there, I started writing stuff on my Facebook page, actually, like just short lines of here's what I'm thinking, kind of my thought process in things. And at first it was just kind of fun and about the flowery stuff and about, you know, my grandkids and that kind of thing. 
And there came a time because I have, and as you hear my story, you'll see that I have um, dealt with anxiety and depression in my life and that kind of thing. Um, in the summer of 2016, when things were uh, getting a little bit, let's say, politically like upheaval, political yes, upheaval, yeah. I uh, started anxiety and depression became just so like heightened in my life. Mm -hmm. And I ended up calling my doctor and saying, I, I need help. And my doctor just doubled my um, antidepressant. And it wasn't a very high dose in the first place, but, and I didn't think it'd be a big deal, but about a week into that, I had an episode of the only time I've ever had it. Woke up one morning, one, and it was like probably about 11 o'clock. It was almost lunchtime. And I was laying in bed and I was like, I, I don't want to live anymore. Like that's, oh, wow. I, I, I'm done. Like, and although I didn't even know how I would do that. And when you read my story, you'll hear I'm a hypochondriac. So like to even think about hurting myself would be crazy. But at the same time, I knew this, this thought process wasn't right. I um, called my niece, who is my best friend, called her and I said, I need help. And my husband was at work. She came over, she got me some food. She called my doctor right away and they downed my dose. They said, this can happen when you, with, with anxiety meds. And she called her counselor and got me an appointment um, for the next day. And so I got the help I needed. Right. Um, but I wrote about it about a week later. I, well, a couple weeks later, I decided to write about it on right. my page and people came out of the woodwork. Really? Yeah. Just um, in my, of course, in my DMs, you know, like they're, they weren't going to yeah. share it out loud, maybe right. on Facebook, but like, oh, you're so brave. You're so vulnerable. Thank you for sharing this. I had a fair amount of people saying like, wow, like I would have never thought you, not you, like, yeah, uh -huh. you know, you're so happy. You're so this, you're right. Happy. Um, and also I can't relate to you and I'm sorry. I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, don't feel sorry for me. You know, all these things. But it made me just know, like, my vulnerability is important. And and so I kept writing. And, of course, through from 2016 through 2022, 23, you know, a lot has happened. And I've just kept writing about it. So are you saying that the things that we read in your book, some of them started, you wrote them way back years ago? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So what happened was I got to know Keith Giles, who is yeah. our publisher with choir um in 2021 i got into his um square, square one. one yes yep. so mm -hmm. got in with a group of people who were like-minded who all because i really walked this journey of deconstruction pretty alone yeah we all um, do right for a while yeah <laughs> yeah like again uh like you and i were talking about with sovereign grace i had thank god i had the internet and i could get on and see that there were other people that were yeah questioning leadership, right. questioning right. small group activities and that kind of stuff, you know? So I knew, I knew I wasn't alone in the world, but I felt very alone in my own brain, you know? Yeah. Like, right. Right. Um, so. so this, so being in square one, we had our own private group and I would write there and I got real honest there about questions of hell and just different kinds of things like that. And Keith was like, your writing is amazing you need a podcast. Yeah. You need a, first, he started out with putting me on Pathos with a blog. Yeah. 
And then probably, I don't know, several months later, it was like, let's do a book. Let's. And so I handed him at first, I handed him like 300 of my um, just different posts and different things that I had written in the past. He's like, yeah, we're going to need to cut that down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what exactly do you want to talk about? This a little bit, right. Yeah. So well, I but, actually have book two. I mean, you know. You have, you have another book coming out too? Uh, he keeps asking me about that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyways, <laughs> the book that, that, that you came out with is just amazing. And what I, what I wanted to ask, I mean, what I wanted to do is um, just to sh share a little bit uh, how what your style is. If you don't mind, I'll read just a part of it because you've got a very unique style. Okay. I, yeah. I, sure. I don't know if what you call it, but it sounds like prose poetry or something. I don't know if that's my the right editor, term. My editor, who was an English teacher and one of yeah. my best friends, she's been an English teacher for 25 years while she was editing it. She was like, I was like, well, you know, this part. And I was like, this poem, if you want to call it that. And she was like, we're calling it poetry. She's like, you are a yeah. poet. This is poetry. And I'm like, okay, I don't like to, again. Right. It's, yeah, it's the, it's so it, weird, it, it looks like on the page, it looks like poetry and it, and it sounds like it, but you're, you, you've got a story weaving in there and it's just yeah. amazing how you do it. So let me, let me just read a small portion and then I mean, we'll try to get into how, you know why you started doing that. Um, the, I think this might be the first chapter, Misfit. Yeah. It says, okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> but um, Misfit, too much, not enough, too old, too young, always there, never belonging, walking into a room, longing to be seen, seen for who I am. Yes, seen and loved for who I am except who really knows me? I don't even know if I know me. I think it all began when I was little in elementary school. I remember, I remember being tossed back and forth between the gifted reading group and the regular reading group. Where did I belong? The teachers couldn't figure it out. I certainly, certainly didn't know. Then there's this whole personality thing. I'm an extrovert, except when I'm not. I'm pretty joyful, except when I am ridden with anxiety. I like being with people, except when I get into a public place and want to hide. I write about my struggles. I write the most when I am, I am down. There is healing in it. So people feel sorry for me. They just want to tell me I will be okay. Then they see me in person and I look so normal. I thought you had anxiety. <laughs> then when the people who know me in real life read one of my writings, they just they are just as confused. I would have never guessed you have anxiety. I trust God for so many big things, but I have a hard time with the little stuff. One minute I really care what people think, the next minute I couldn't care less. Cheer coach? Wait, I don't know enough about stunting. Teacher? Nope. I'm only a sub, homeschool mom who let my kids watch Disney, taught true love waits, didn't wait, too serious about God for my classmates in school, not serious enough about God for Christians, trying to be pretty when I'm really just cute, too liberal for conservatives, too conservative for liberals, too young to be a grandma, too young to take care of my parents too young to fear death. I love Jesus, 
I don't feel like I fit in with his people. I have questions. I don't think he's mad at me for it. I do think I am judged pretty harshly by some of the people for these questions, some of his people for these questions. Maybe that is why I have a heart for fellow misfits. Maybe that's why I can be so easy to talk to. I understand that there are a whole lot of misfits, a whole land of them maybe. I believe Jesus lived and died for us misfits. There is where my hope lies and the land of the beloved misfits. So I'll stop there. But anyway, that's a great example of your writing. And um, it just blows me away because once you get into it, um, it's all the whole book is like that. Right. I mean, the whole book is is that style. And once you get into it, you, you, you track with you. It makes it makes sense. These are th- thoughts that people have and that people relate to because we have the same kinds of thoughts, you know. Yeah. So, how, so how, how did you come up with that style? Is that just the what you how you wrote naturally? In January of this year, I got officially diagnosed with ADHD, and mm-hmm. so I think that's just part of my okay. All right. ADHD right. is just like let's just write thoughts, you know. And yeah, I don't. I have. I, there's no excuse for it. I don't know. I that's just the way I write. And well, that's I, great. It's it's it. very effective. And uh, I think people, uh, I know, I know I've read the reviews, so I know people love it. So if you haven't read the book yet, you'll really enjoy this style. Um, and also, I want to say, um, I relate to you on the depression thing. Mm-hmm. When I deconstruct it from evangelicalism, when I started, um, I, I, I had this clinical depression, too. And I know exactly what you're talking about. You wake up one day. And you go, why, what is going on? Why is it still <laughs> around? Why, you know, what, there, there's a whole, we could have a whole podcast on that, but, yeah. but I just, re, I just want to say, I, re, I totally relate to you. And I'm so glad you found the help that you need. There's so much good help out there. And that's part of the deconstruction and rebuilding process is like people like you and me try to help people uh, who are going through that to overcome the trauma, overcome the depression or the anxiety or whatever it is that's accompanying their faith crisis or deconstruction. So I think that's really important. Um, The need to, to know that they're not alone. Exactly. You're not alone. That's what I, it's so common, but I I was just thinking right when you were talking before I was thinking, you know what? I, I think back at all, all the suffering that I went through and right now, where I am, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I really love what I'm doing, trying to help other people. And I, and, and all the knowledge that I've gained that you've gained too. I know because I read your book that you've gained. It's just amazing. Isn't it? You just, you learn all this stuff and you go, ah, now I feel better because of this. And, and you get the, it's like a puzzle that keeps getting formed and, and makes more sense. Is that, that oh. makes sense to you? Hundred percent. I'm still learning every every. Yeah, you're day. still learning, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Even so, more, go ahead. Go yeah. Ahead. No. No. Finish your thought. Uh, just like in these in the last week, realizing. Um, so I took an enneagram test. Do uh-huh. you done anything with the enneagram? I've, test? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I took an enneagram test, and I've always not known what my number is I've always been so confused just like being a misfit like I'm happy but I'm not like I'm this and I'm not and Mm -hmm. what I realized was I'm 
I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So if anybody knows what that is, it's an enthusiast. It's an enthusiast. It's a person that loves life and wants to have fun. And I can look back on when I was little, when I took this test, I actually paid for a test and took a test this last week, I think two weeks ago, maybe. And I'm like, oh, I'm a seven, but it says I'm a very um, unhealthy seven still. Mm -hmm. Like even with where, where I'm at today, right. the way I answered the questions and I'm right. like, yeah, I am because that sevenness was so taken from me that, um, the fun and that when I look at my childhood and with my parents and such a fun childhood and then, and I was a fun person. And then all of a sudden I think I am enthusiastic about things. I started to learn about this God who um, I think it was in 2005, maybe is when I first heard John Piper. Oh so, yeah. John Piper. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And he was speaking at a college. He was speaking at passion um, at a, a passion event. And he said that he's telling the story of the, this older couple who had retired and they were collecting shells, seashells. Like they were living down in Florida and collecting shells. And he's like, that's a tragedy. And, and you, I went yesterday. That's a tragedy. Oh yeah. I went yesterday and I, oh I looked, it up. You can look up John Piper seashell sermon or whatever. Oh my and gosh. I found it yesterday and I was uh. I lived for this, like, because what he said was, that's a tragedy. And then he said, what are you going to do? Get to the end of your life and hand your, and you're in front of God and you're going to hand your shell collection to God and say, oh my God, my shell collection. And you got to be an idiot to, I mean, no, yeah. I jumped I, on though. And I was like, you're right. You're right. Oh no. Yeah. Right. When Jesus returns. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and so I took everything he said, and then he wrote the book, Don't Waste Your Life. And yeah. we read that book, and we did Bible studies in the churches that we were in. Yeah, yeah. And in all of that, I was so serious. I was so enthusiastic and serious about like, okay, well, let's go. If he says we're going yeah. to go to the nation no. to get our heads cut off, then I'm going. I'm in. You're, I'm you're just in. like me. I did the same thing, Karen. I call it running down to the deep end of the evangelical pool. Yes, finding the highest diving board and diving off. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and people didn't understand like yeah. that. I, they weren't, they weren't always on board with me doing this. Like, and so for instance, like my husband who loved Ohio state football and everybody in our group who loved Ohio state football, we were living in Columbus at the time. And I would be like, what are we doing? How can we sit here and watch football yeah. yeah. when right. there's the world is burning, you right. know, like and people are going to hell and we need to, you know, we're wasting yeah. our lives. No, and, no, that's very true. Yeah. It's amazing. So it, it wasn't that it wasn't ever that, oh, like now I've just, oh, just an airhead who's saying now I've deconstructed. It was like, no, like you said, I jumped in and then it was like, okay, so John Piper says we need to we need to know theology. And so now we need to know the five points of Calvinism. So the church that um, we were involved in, it was like, well, now we're going to read um, systematic theology. And I read that. And that's when it all started to, <laughs> that's when it all started to go 
south for me because I was like, wait a minute, like God chooses some and doesn't choose others. And babies are maybe go to hell because God didn't choose them. Oh my God. And, you know, all of yeah. those things were like, I couldn't reconcile. And I, and I would say to people, like, just as I was serious about like, if he, if the Bible says we need to, you know, if you want to live, you need to die to yourself. Um, then the Bible also talks about hell, then we better be getting people in. Right. And then I would be like, so a billion years, I would say this to my husband and to anybody who would listen, which most people didn't want to listen, but I'd say a billion years and then a, like another billion years and then another billion years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You're a deep thinker like me. Yeah. <laughs> and people would right. be like, yeah, I mean, that's what the Bible says. If the yeah, Bible says I know. And I mean, you think about it. Would you please somebody exactly. think? Exactly. Right. Now, now, what you're describing is so common. Yeah. I mean, like for people like you and me, I mean, I became a, a missionary to Muslims in Africa. You can't get more radical than that. You know, you so did? yeah, I was lived in Africa for seven years trying to convert people. Of course so, you did. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. You're, but you're thinking, oh, well, we have to save people from hell. We have to, you know, be on the cutting edge of of living for Jesus, you know, yes. and, you know, you, you taught, you taught me this, so I'm doing it. And that's, <laughs> that what's, that's really what shocked me is that when you start doing it, a lot of people are going like, well, wait a minute, you're a little bit too radical here. But it's like, wait, but this is, this is the logical conclusion to what you're preaching and teaching. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah. And then um, just the, I think, I think the uh, thing that other thing that struck me from what you said was, you answered my next question, which was, you know, what started you down the road uh, deconstructing your faith? And um, it seems like, you know, one of the red flags was Calvinism. All of a sudden, oh, yeah. when you got into it, right, you're seeing, yeah. wait a minute, that's what they believe. And where do they get this? They, they claim they get it from the Bible, you know, and all this. But, to, but, you know, when you really dig a little deeper, it really came out of John Calvin's teaching that does not fit or, you know, come from the Bible necessarily, you know, it's, it's twisted. So yeah, tell us a little bit more of that. I mean, what, that was a red flag. What other red flags did you have that you said, okay, I got to start deconstructing. I mean, did you just start deconstructing then, or did you just move down to another church, you know, get out of the Calvinistic church? Oh, what happened? We, uh, yeah. So one thing too, that I was thinking about just today. And I actually called that same niece that I was talking about earlier because she went through all of that. We all went through, there was a bunch of us who went through all of the same stuff together as far as church stuff. Yeah. And she was in Columbus with me. And because we got involved in passion, the passion conferences, have you heard of that? Like with Louis Giglio and I've heard of Louis Giglio, but I've never done a passion conference. Okay. So it's for college students and it's amazing. Okay. And we would, we started going and I wrote Louis and he wrote me back. Like, and that was amazing. And we became friends. And then I became friends with his wife, like it, all cool things. And then we, that's how we knew about Francis Chan was he was a breakout speaker at one of the passion conferences. Oh, he was. Okay. And that's right. where John Piper at that passion conference too, it was the same passion conference that John Piper stood up and said, yeah, if you are listening to any of the emergent church, you are a sitting duck. For oh false my gosh. Oh and my gosh. home and threw away anything Rob Bell, anything Irwin yeah. McManus, we threw yeah. away all of that. So, but Francis, oh. He wasn't emergent, so we could follow him. So we followed him and moved our family from oh. to Columbus, Ohio. 
Oh. Sold our stuff. So, and gave away a bunch of our stuff because we moved in with another family. And as we were doing all of that, I remember somebody said, well, don't you want to keep it in case when you move out from with that family, like you have your furniture, don't you want to put it in storage? And we're like, oh no, next stop, Africa. Like, oh, we, yeah, there you go. We were on our way. <laughs> You're on um, your way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just we had to make a quick stop in Columbus to help Francis Chan with the church plant of his. And then when we got there and we were doing this college ministry, we had college students come and it was awesome. Um, we were also watching a lot of Louis stuff, reading John Piper, but Louis DVDs would talk about serving the homeless. So we went down, we met these homeless people. We invited them into our house. People like to live with us. We had homeless guys mm -hmm. living with us and it was wow. dangerous. We had small children, homeschooling, yeah. all that stuff. And people would tell us it was dangerous. But I remember we went to a passion conference like that same fall and Louie had us come to the green room. There was two of us couples that he invited down to the green room and it was Chris Tomlin's band and Matt Redman's band were down there and, and Louie and his wife. And we were all praying before it started the conference. And he introduced us to Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin to their bands and said, these are my crazy friends from Columbus, from Francis Chan's church plant. These are my crazy friends. And I <laughs> told my husband this morning, just this morning, when I was looking through your questions and stuff and it dawned on me and I'm like, why the heck is he calling us crazy? Just yeah. like you just said, Michael, he told us to do this. Exactly. Like, yeah. So you're kidding me. You're not doing it. You think we're crazy? You're right. like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And no, no, that's, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah, we did that too. I mean, my, my wife and I took a homeless guy into our house once yeah. and, you know, I would go down to the homeless shelter and I would... I would talk to my pastor and say, Hey, we should start a ministry down there. Oh, we're not, you know, we're not really, that's not really what our goal is, but you yeah. go ahead and do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what the yeah. attitude was. Yeah. And then I got into the pro-life movement that way too. I'd start going out and being doing pro-life stuff, but most of my churches, only a few of people were doing it. But anyways, um, uh, that's a, that's a very interesting phenomenon. And then you're, you're, you're going on and then you get into Francis Chan's church. I mean, how did you finally leave evangelicalism? What happened? Well, that, that one went wrong because of financial situation within the church and no, no elders. So just a pastor, good for, he's still a friend of ours, but just, it went way wrong, way fast and devastated all of us because we had moved there to help this. And, um, this so was Francis Chan's church. It was his his worship pastor from Simi Valley. Francis was out in Simi, had moved to Columbus. Oh, it was Island, a church plant. Church. I get it. Okay, right. Yes, Francis came to our right. church plant. We were hanging with him. Right, you know, I gotcha. Of course, yep. doing big things for God with him. Yeah. Um, but it went bad, <laughs> and so we got out of that one, and then we needed to find a church that was. Um, we needed elders. Like, why were yeah. there no elders? We needed right. elders. So yeah. we found, then we looked up nine marks because we were still going to be in the reformed camp. Right. And that's when we found CJ Mahaney. And oh, okay. And so the next pastor, he was reading a CJ Mahaney book on humility, and that's what we needed. We just needed a humble pastor, you know. And so we went to that church, and that went that went even wronger 
like I have story after story about my anxiety and my anxiety and depression got bad in this church. Oh my gosh. And the, and the pastor there was so authoritarian. He just, his, he did have elders. They just were yes men, you know, that's like, the problem. Yeah. You say, okay, elders will solve the problem. And then they're rubber stamp elders and it doesn't solve the problem. Doesn't matter, <laughs> right. Right. And this guy would tell my husband that, and other husbands that the reason why our, their wives are struggling with anxiety and depression is because they're not leading well. So then what it would, so then what I would do is we'd get in the car and I would be like, cause he'd say it in front of, he said it in front of me and I like got in the car and I'm like, okay, you need to lead me. Are you going to lead me? When are you going to step up and lead me? Like put the pressure on him. him. Okay. It's your fault now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm leading him to lead right. me. Like right. if nothing made sense, he right. was, you know, my poor husband, um, he, and he was trying and I, here I had, I had yeah. gifts. I like, I could speak and they would let me speak to the women and to the children, but I could never speak no. to the men. No, you can't. Speak and no. So I would tell my husband what to say so he could speak to the men. So my, you know, like, and he didn't want to speak. Like when we were, when I spoke at the awaken conference that you and I just were at, afterwards my husband was like that was amazing like to just sit there and watch you do what you do and know that there's freedom for yeah you. right right yeah right that's it's amazing when if, when you finally break out of it it's like oh my gosh you know what well, yeah. why were we why were we demonizing women what's so terrible about women teaching just like men do it's just it's just crazy so okay that helps me understand you got through to uh it sounds like you just kind of went from church to church and something crazy would just go, would go off the right. rails and then you go to someone else. And then finally you started deconstructing. I mean, did you just, did you just start? Um, uh, Next know? church was Mars Hill. Like oh. a Mars Hill plane. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Not Mars Hill, but Mark Driscoll. It was, uh, yeah. Our pastor was friends with Mark Driscoll. It was an Acts 29 church. Okay. Um, Acts 29 was, church. Okay. Yes. Yes. And it was down in the city and cool things happened there as far as, yeah, ministries that we started and that kind of thing. But um, that's when I, I would listen to Mark Driscoll and I'm like, he's, he, he's a jerk, you know, yeah, and right. then John MacArthur, I would listen to him and be like, he's a real big jerk. Yeah. And at some point, and at that point, while we were at that church, my dad and mom moved in with us and my dad was 84. 83 at the time that he moved in 85 when he passed away of dementia lived with us went through hospice and again I will tell you there were so many years in there that even though my parents were good little Methodist people I thought because they weren't going to the nations and they didn't dive into the deep right. end they weren't yeah they weren't doing it the right way right they probably yeah. weren't even going to the hell that I or they probably right. were going to the hell that I didn't even know if I believed in yeah but if there was one, they were probably going until yeah. my dad passed away and he was in hospice. And it was all during that time when I started to get on, I started to, see, it was like 2012, 2013, when I started to see the Sovereign Grace Ministry stuff and the Marshall yeah. stuff online. I was like, this is a mess. Everything is a mess. Um, yeah, right. So that what no she's talking about, what she, I'm just, I mean, interjecting what she's talking about is those, both of those churches had, spiritual abuse going on yes. and and people start leaving the church setting up websites and talking about what was really going on behind the scenes right yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is what happened to us. These are mm-hmm. the things that were going yep. on with us. I'm, I'm not alone in this. Um, and so, and I read Rob Bell. Well, I watched his, all I did was watch his video of Love Wins. Um, yep. He had made a promotional video and I watched that video and he said, Gandhi is in hell. Really? Yes. Right, right, right. We have those questions. Right, right. Went, yeah, right. Exactly. I went to my people and I said, I have those questions. And I remember our oldest daughter looked at me and said, mom, you're scaring me, you know, because yeah. this is the first time. And I was like, well, listen. And then people were saying, you know, you're letting Rob Bell influence you. And I'm yeah. like, no, I'm not. These are my questions. He's just he, affirming that. Right. I have- you already had that question. And oh. he was just saying, right, exactly. No, I, I get it. No, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I just uh, there was a couple of things that you had said that I wanted to t- to mention and I forgot what it was. <laughs> but uh, no, I relate to all this stuff. You're going from you know, it's a journey and then it just like mm-hmm. one thing happens or another, and then you're trying to find some answers. And sometimes in trying to find the answers, you find something worse in conservative Christianity. And other times you do find something, Oh, you know, Rob Bell, probably some other people are saying some things. I think I had that same experience when I saw Brennan Manning speak. Yeah. Do, do you remember him? And so yeah. when I went to Brennan Manning speak, I'm like, man, this is like night and day from, from what they're teaching at my church. This is like totally different message gospel. I mean, it was just, it just blew me away. And it was like, in my heart, I knew what Brennan Manning was saying was right. And what my church was teaching was bullshit, you know? Yes, yes. exactly. Right. So anyways, let's move on to something else. Um, You had a lot to say about purity culture. You were in the love, a true love weight movement. Apparently you taught yeah. Uh, teach people to, to take a purity pledge or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure did. Well, what is that? What is that culture? And according to your experience and why do you think it's harmful? Okay. So this, we're going to back way up. So this is before any of the John Piper stuff. Okay. okay. So this is right when, well, let me back up even more. When I was growing up, I, um, loved God, but I also loved boys a whole, whole, whole lot. Yeah. And, um, it's got pretty myself. Oh cool. yeah. I was kind of, I like, I love girls and you love boys and yeah. gay yeah. people love who they want to love. That. It's just, yeah, it's just growing up. Yeah. It's growing up. But, um, so we were taught when I was going through, I was Methodist and then got involved with like youth for Christ and that kind of yeah. stuff. Right. stuff. So I was going to those kind of Bible studies and being taught, you know, you can't have sex, but we weren't taught like, don't do the other. I mean, we were taught that the more you do with your boyfriend, the more chances are you're going to have sex. Right. right. Yep. But we weren't really taught the purity. It wasn't purity culture time yet. So this was in the late 1900s, 1988. <laughs> um, and I ended up uh, getting pregnant, not married um, with, and he's my husband now. Right. But, um with our daughter and we went through it. Me and my husband, my boyfriend, he wasn't my boyfriend, except for I'd broken up with him because he had gone out on me with another girl. And then I found out I was pregnant. So it was all a big mess. Mm -hmm. And I knew like, God, I felt like God was punishing me. Like, Mm -hmm. why aren't my other friends getting pregnant? Well, my other friends were probably on the pill because they, (laughs) like, I just wasn't going to be on the pill because I wasn't going to have sex, but then I did. And I got pregnant. And, um, 
Alyssa, our daughter, ended up being the biggest gift there ever was. Um, and Kevin and I, I talked him into being, he was Catholic, but I had to talk him into saying the prayer so that I could marry him. Yeah, and, right. He has to his jump through the evangelical hoops. Yes, <laughs> yes. And and he would say he did. I get we had a real we have a really cool, we have a really cool God story. And um, and now when we talk about it because we believe differently, like he would say that night when he got on his knees and asked Jesus into his heart, that he was really just asking God for a second chance in life. Yeah. He just was, and, and he believed it. Like he believed, okay, now it's, I have a second chance. Right. And so his whole life changed. Um, and we ended up then getting married after he graduated from college and our daughter was in the wedding, of course. Um, so there was no telling our kids that we didn't have sex before we were married. It was obvious that we had, and we had this cool story and people wanted to hear it and wanted, they were asking us to tell it at youth groups and at youth for Christ events. And then they started this true love weights thing. This would have been in the nineties. And we started to tell our story my niece, that same niece, I keep bringing her up, but she was in high school at the time. And she was like, could you start a group at our high school? So we started a true love weights group and oh, we way in on this because mm -hmm. I had four children at the time then. And mm -hmm. I wanted them to not do what I had done. Right. Right. Not because it didn't work out, but because of the freaking shame that the Christian yeah. Yeah, you, you know, get right. You get shamed because of what you did. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was more all about the shame that I didn't want yep. my kids to go through, and so then it became Josh Harris. Like we, I because I was homeschooling, we got into Josh Harris and started reading all of those books, and not even a hint. So, in Every Man's Battle, like we were reading all of the books and teaching these kids, our own children, and then all the other kids, like you should not even be thinking about sex. Don't right. ever think about it. Like it's. Um, you don't kiss, you don't hold hands, you don't have a boyfriend until you're ready to be married. Right. Don't think about it. Um, no, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, just just as an aside, uh, that that the true love waits thing kind of yeah. hit hit when I, we were on the mission field, so we kind of miss, missed that. And then I started deconstructing in the late '90s, but um, <laughs> yeah, but before that, it was always there. I mean. Uh, that's what I was taught at the Sovereign Grace Ministry Church. It was called People of Destiny then. But but yeah, I had that same view. Yeah, you, you wait until you get married and, and they didn't go as so far to say don't kiss or something like that. That was absurd. But <laughs> but uh, but it was the same kind of it was the same principles, you know. So what 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 real made you realize that this is really harmful? Oh, here's here's what is that now. So we're you know, 20, 30 years later, however many years later, yeah, 30, 25 years later, hearing the stories of the girls that we taught that to and the guilt and the shame that they felt for ever even, like we made it worse. Like what I felt, the guilt and shame that I felt for having sex, we put that on them for even holding the guy's hand. Yeah, you know? I get it. Yeah, right, 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 right. The, yeah. <laughs> now it's even worse. What? I, I held his hand or I kissed? Right. I mean, now I'm, you know. <laughs> right. And then also my niece oh my who was gosh. in high school. So she graduated in 2000. So she's walking around high school. There's probably 40 girls in this group, you know, right. and 
They're all walking around with their true love weights rings. And she realizes now what the heck kind of witness is that to people that are, you know, to like, it didn't come across good. Like to the girls who had already had sex. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I screwed up. Yeah, but now, right. And if, you know, and then you're instantly shamed. (laughs) Those girls are shamed. And then the girls who were wearing the rings, who I would say, (laughs) uh, over 90% of them, over 90, like of the people I've talked to, maybe there's one or two that actually waited to have sex. Right, right. The guilt that was heaped and the shame and the fear. There was so much, it was so fear-driven. Right. And not Jesus-driven at yeah. all. Although we would we would kind of put Jesus in on the end of it and say, you know, now if you say this prayer, you can go to heaven. Um, it was you all can crazy. be forgiven and you can do it. Right, right. There's the forgiveness part too, but but it's like the, the the issue though is is it's so narrow in the religious codes of conduct. It's just so damn narrow. I mean, yes. And it's not even in the Bible. <laughs> right. We were making this whole Who says thing. you can't hold hands and kiss before you get married? Or well, or, or who says even even sex before marriage, if you really deconstruct right. sexuality in the Bible, it's really not in there either. So right. you get it's just it's just crazy. So I I, I get it. It's just amazing um uh how people fall into that thinking this is the right thing, but you, what they do is they get their mind, they get their um, focus off of what matters most, which right. is l- love, love your neighbor, love people, right? If they, if you just focused on, Hey, yeah, it's natural to have relationships to, to uh, uh, like boys, like girls, whatever, but love people, respect them. Don't right. And yeah, be responsible. Right. And, we but they don't, no, they don't, don't, you can't, they don't want to teach that. Right. Right, no, because the love the right. love message doesn't have enough boundaries. It's too it's it can be too broad, and so they want to make it really tight, legalistic, religious codes of conduct boundaries, and it just gets what strikes strikes me. It's got worse in my you know in the eighties when I was uh, in the in, you know the height of my evangelical uh, commitment. It was there, but it wasn't as legalistic as what you just no. described. No, right? absolutely. So it just got worse, right? right. Yes, it, it had to because they had to figure out a way for to not have little Karens that are getting pregnant. Yeah. Now we got to take it another step, and it and then it just that became what your identity was. Right. Like all of your identity now is in this. And it's controlling. Yeah, it's very controlling, right? You, they get that's how they f- solve problems. They try to control people. Yeah, right. So um, the other thing that um, that you talk about in the book is that you were in the Christian homeschool movement and ho- being a homeschool mom. Um, of well, what was that like? What was what 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 was it like being in the evangelical homeschool movement and just taking on the that version of motherhood and womanhood for that matter? The misfit. I was, uh, I was a misfit. Um, right. I, we, there wasn't a whole lot of prayer and that kind of thing that went into how we started homeschool when our daughter was five, like when she went to kindergarten, when she was going to go to kindergarten, just kind of a thing happened. My older sister was homeschooling in, um, in Richmond, Virginia. So she lived in a bigger city. We lived in a small town, but, and I'm not, 
mind you, I'm not sad that I homeschooled. Uh, would I do everything about it differently? Yes. But I love right. No, homeschooling kids. in and of itself is not harmful. It's just no, some, another way of educating so your kids. Harm. Right. Yes. But in the way, because if you've seen Shiny Happy People. Yes, I have. I've seen that movie. Right. I just finished watching it the other day. <laughs> okay. So that was, that was the people that I hung out with. Bill so, Gothard. Oh my gosh. Yeah, did you they, use Bill Gothard material in your homeschool? I did not, but, but the people that I hung out with had gone to one of his um, seminars or whatever, right. and they were starting to do that. And they were starting to talk about that. We're going to start wearing dresses. We're going to start putting dresses. Oh, on our I see. Okay. Um, but all of the spanking stuff. We did that. Michael, we did that. We like, did that too. Sovereign Grace uh, taught that. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yeah, right. Larry, Larry Tomzak had a book that he they would teach at our church. Get you know what the title was? <laughs> what? God, the rod, and your child's bod. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, well, no. I haven't heard of that one, book. One of the biggest things oh, I regret it was spanking my kids. Me too. And that will be it, in my next was, book. Yeah. But what what astounded me is that we spanked our kids. We thought you know, a reasonable amount of spanking. There were people that would spank their kids every single day, many day. times a day, all day, yeah. every day. Yes. And I was like, what the heck? Right. That was a red flag for me. Like, that's yes. crazy. You know, yeah. we didn't do that either. We made spanking an event, but, but still I, and a wooden spoon, because that's what. Doc yes. Said. Wooden spoon. We called it Mr. Do better. Oh, <laughs> our student had a name. Um, our spoon had a name. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I did just like a couple years ago. I told my kids, and they're grown adults now. But I've I've apologized to them. I've yeah, a, right. You do. In the, yeah. In the book, I've done an apology to anyone that I led in true love weights. Like, so I'm I'm on an apology tour right now because I want people to know, like, yeah, it's good. It wasn't. It wasn't right, and. But I told my kids, I said, I got rid of all the wooden spoons in my kitchen because I said I went and bought like rubber ones and I got rid of the wooden ones because I don't want you guys to be in our house and see those wooden spoons in the and they're like, right. oh, mom, oh, you're crazy. That's that's silly, mom. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe it isn't as much for you it's because for me. Yeah. it is for me. Like it's triggering right. for me. It's triggering. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no, and I absolutely. just I I, and, and I was always always felt like a misfit. I said I was a homeschool misfit. Um, I, I never was that quiet, never had that quietness about me that I was supposed to have. I never had the, you know, up before dawn and all the things about the Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31 woman. I just didn't, I wasn't that. And so right. I always, uh, carried yeah. that guilt. I had anxiety. So I wanted right. to have peace in my soul. And yeah, I just no. remember then when I started to learn John Piper, warm theology, and there's nothing good in you. Like, I was like, yeah, no, that, well, I agree. There's nothing good in me because I'm surely not that. So, yes, yeah. you're right. There's nothing no, no. good in me. So that's the other thing is that you get you talked about warm theology. I assume yeah. you mean the original sin, original depravity doctrine that John Piper teaches and yeah. Calvinists. And yes. frankly— Almost all evangelicals teach that, even if they're not Calvinists, they teach it yes. basically. So, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's another thing. It's just, it's very damaging. It's like, you're a piece of shit right from the start. Right. right. And right. you know, everything's all things considered, everything remains the same. You're going to hell. And you know, it's, it's such a destructive, uh, worldview. It's just, a, it's just incredible, but yeah. there's a lot of things in there, but I mean, um, uh, how did you finally overcome that, that, that whole doctrine that you, you must've thought that yourself because so you know oh i have anxiety oh i'm not fitting in i'm oh you know yes. how did you oh, finally overcome that oh finally overcome it i think i'm still over you're still dealing it with it I yeah think i'm still in there well what, what makes it easier for you um to not believe that that's who god is <laughs> like yeah you know, to right change, to change my thinking on who god is and um to not listen to those sermons and not go to those churches every week and hear it. Um, and just to, you know, we were taught, you don't ever say that you love yourself. Like you don't, or you, that, that you should love yourself. Like that's a horrible, that's a horrible thing to say. And so just learning, like, um, it's okay. It's okay to, that I am who I am. And that right. Christ is, yourself. Yep. yeah, yeah. And that there's work to do. And so there's work to do for me in my, just in my whole life, I, I, part of it when I was, had the anxiety and depression, um, and I couldn't get rid of it. I had people that were praying, trying to pray the demons out. Of yes. Me. Right. Um, right. Right. Yep. I, you know, I'm in, I'm on my knees and these strangers are all around me praying the demon of fear out of me. Um, and as that's going on, I really wanted it to work. Yeah, I, sure. I, fix would have been great. You yeah. know, like get That's it out. Quick fix. Yeah, let's go for buy, it. Buy right. anxiety, buy depression. Um, right. right. But then realizing, oh, wait, maybe some of the anxiety and depression has actually come from the God that I was actually believing in. Yeah, that's a very interesting. That's that's very key right there. It's actually coming from the, yeah. the theology that they're teaching you about God. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's true. No, yeah, so, very true. Um <laughs> so that so that finally you finally woke up to that and and started changing your your view of god and that that really helped i imagine yeah just just learning that um there are different views over over the last two thousand years on what hell is like because you know when you learn i think the internet the coming of the internet has helped so much and oh yes it has and just like, oh, wait a minute. We're not just in this little church learning what this one man has to say and this one doctrine. Like, oh, wait, I can Google that <laughs> and I can learn about hell and that. Oh, OK. So there's three different views. There's been three different views. There's this right. view or there's yeah. this and it's and universalism. Oh, yeah. believe it, and yeah. they still believe in Jesus. Oh, like or um the rapture theology, like dispensationalism, like just learning that, oh, that happened in 1830, like is when they started believing in that. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like all those yeah. things, one so, by one learning that is like, okay, there's some, we got some hope here. <laughs> right. No, no. That's that, what you're describing is the historical part as well as the emotional part, but the historical part. Yeah. You learn, okay. Uh, you know, if you looked at, um, uh, the history of, of it didn't actually the doctrine of hell didn't come from the, the Old Testament or the New Testament. If you look at the Bible, the, how they translated words, all this stuff. If you look at original depravity, 
Um, the early Christians didn't believe that. That was, you know, injected into uh, theology later on. And right. and it doesn't connect. It doesn't even match how what Jesus taught in his love ethic. He didn't, you know, he said, let the little kids come to me. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like God, the kingdom of God. You know, he didn't act like they were depraved, you know, human beings are on their way to hell. He just loved everyone. So it's just it's just crazy. Right. And so that that's a very key thing. The history of of the Bible, these doctrines, uh, the end times thing, when you go back and you realize people had this view of what the um, what would happen. But they were talking. Jesus was talking about the end of the age, not the end of the world. Right. And you get into that. Those, all those kinds of things, right. Help you heal. Right. Yes. But, but, but I mean, did you, was that enough? I mean, what else had to happen before you kind of come around to it? I mean, that's part of it. Was there like um, just finding other people that believe the same thing and just being reinforced with that? Yeah. And then just realizing that, yeah, there's a whole world out here because yeah. it, it was such a bubble, you know, like, and once you get out of the bubble, and I think that's why with the deep end thing, like, like you said, like I'm out here, I dive into the deep end and then I'm out here and I'm seeing all of this and I'm learning all of this and I'm actually growing and, and learning and it's okay out in the deep end, although it's still yes. hard, right? Yeah. But then I've got my family and friends who are still out in the shallow and they're like, no, come on back. Come on back. Why aren't you over here with, you right. know, and to try to get them to come to the deep end? It's not happening. Like, yeah. they're, because they like playing in the shallow, you know, right. like they're happy there. They've got, they're fine. Like, we, I'm not going to study hell. I'm not going to yeah. study. And so just to know. Yeah, too, like, right. They don't want to go there. Right. Yep. So they're, they can't argue with me because they don't have an argument because they're not studying it. So, and right. that's okay. I don't need them to um, because there's this whole world out here. And um, just, yeah, like you said, it opens friends. up your mind, right? Oh, yeah. the beauty of being able to go to a store and look around at people and think you're loved by God. You're yeah. Loved by God. Right. He got in you. Like, right. To be able, no, like, no, that, that you, you hit on something really important. And that, that happened to me as well. All of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, I don't have to divide the world up into us versus them anymore. Yes. We're, we're all the same. God loves everyone, right? Yeah. We're not just, oh, you're going to hell and I'm not. Right. We're not. And your your group, oh, if you're you're if you're liberal, if you're a Democrat, if you're new age, and then you're really bad, you know, and <laughs> right. And that whole thing can go away and you just treat people. With dignity, dignity and respect, and yeah. and not put them in a box because they're just this. We're all the same, you know. Some people yeah. have lost their way, and they 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 commit evil acts, and they need to be restored. Yeah, and we all need to grow spiritually, right? We're not, yes. you know, perfect. So, but we're not fundamentally bad. We are, you know, if we're made in the image of God. Everything was good when he started, when things got started, he said, everything is good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just so fun. Like my life is so like, I thought if I didn't have this, 
if I didn't have that way of life that I would be, because we're taught that like you'll be miserable if you yes. get out of this. Yes. People who are not like they're, they're miserable and you get out and you're like, Oh wait, this is kind of That's fun. another great point. They teach you that everyone outside is miserable. Right. At, at Sovereign Grace, they used to say, oh, the church is supposed to be the happiest place on earth and everything else is everyone's miserable. <laughs> right. Then, right. Well, there's miserable people everywhere in the church, outside the church. But there's also really happy people outside the church because they're not being they're not being abused spiritually. They're not you know, they're not being used. They're 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 free. <laughs> yeah. In the one church that we were in before we went the, with the pastor that was reading sovereign grace stuff, he, when I was, ha I was having such bad anxiety and depression at that point. Um, and part of all of it was the church's fault. I would say all of it. Yeah. Um, okay. But I had made an appointment cause I had talked to my doctor. My doctor said, let's get you a counseling appointment. He got me a counseling appointment with a Christian man who, but he wasn't in our church. Okay. He was outside of our church. And I was on the phone with our pastor one day and I was like telling him, Hey, I have an appointment. It had been like a month since we made the appointment. I said, I have an appointment tomorrow with a counselor and I'm really excited about it. And he said, who are you going to? And I told him the name of him and he's like, so he's not in our church. Oh like, my gosh. No. And he's like, okay. Yeah we're a family and there are counselors inside of our church. Oh no. Mainly his wife, by the way, who I oh, my gosh. in hell. If there was, yeah. a, there was no way right. in hell that I was going to go to see her. Right. But he was like, no, you need to stay. You need to stay in our church. And so I called my husband and I was like, I think we need to cancel the appointment because yeah. he's like, Oh no, <laughs> we've waited a month and you are, you're going to this guy. And right. And, he and was wise. Okay. <laughs> he was wise. And you know what? Our, our pastor wasn't so stupid either because I sat across from Eric, this counselor for probably two months. And by the end of those two months, week after week of me sitting there crying, saying, we've already left one church. We can't leave another. We can't be church hoppers. And him looking at me and saying, oh, yes, you can. Um, two months later, we were out. We had left right. that, that. Our pastor, he knew. He knew what would happen if we went outside the church. Exactly. He knew it. He knew it. And we did. And of course, though, we went on to a Mars Hill type church, which was really Well, hard. yeah, you weren't finished deconstructing, but you at least no. that was a big step. It sounded like, OK, I can at least get counseling outside the church that I'm going to. It's just like, what? how terrible is that? I mean, it's just so silly. Yeah. Um, and that's our whole life now is like, oh, wait we can go golfing outside of the church and we can, right. Right. you know, there's all these things that we can do now that we're free to do. Like we keep, we kept saying, break every chain, God. You know, I, I was that person. I have always been that person who's cried out to God and asked God, help me, change me, mold me, make me all the things. Yes. All right. Yours. I'm like, Oh, I get outside of it. And it somehow, yeah, I can like, do, I, right. I can just be myself and, Try to be kind and loving to people, and that's all I need. That's it. <laughs> and all those things actually are happening. All those things right. I am being a way more loving person. My anxiety is way more under control. And if right. I do, because I'm okay with it, I'm not thinking it's a demon anymore. No, like, no, that's very. I mean, right. I had the same experience. I, I at one point I woke up and I said, I must have a demon. I, I just right. can't explain what's going on. 
Yeah. So then I, I found some, you know, (laughs) we didn't call him exorcists, but you know, that's what he was. It's some, he was a professor at, I don't know, Gordon Conwell seminary. And, you know, he thought, Oh, this is a, I think you just have a, uh, I don't know what he said, a small demon or I don't know about, you know, Oh, this should be easy. And he just said a prayer and I think you, you should be delivered. Right. And then, and then after that, things got worse, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, this is not working. <laughs> well, some, but, some must have jumped off of him and into you. And now I don't know, but what, what I'm saying, what I'm driving at, and I think you probably yeah. had the same experience is that, you know, anxiety and depression is a real thing, but, it, it can be it can be uh, cured. It can be treated. It can be addressed uh, through uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, through uh, uh, counseling, good counseling, understanding where it comes from. If it comes from the legalistic uh, teachings in your conservative church, well, then get out from under that and it'll probably go away, you know, and and deal with the trauma from that and it'll start going away. So a little yoga, a little evil, a little yoga, yoga. Is, right. Very all helpful kinds of things to help you relax and tra- retrain your brain to think differently mm-hmm. about all these things, because that's what's causing it the way you think, you know. Yep. So, yeah, that's great. So I got one final question um, running out of time. But just where are you? Um, where have you landed in your faith? Um what matters most to you spiritually these days? You know, I, I told my sister the other day we were discussing it and I just said, I, I somehow I don't, I can't get away from Jesus and I, yeah. I didn't want to, like, I, I'm good. My mom and dad had a simple, simple faith in this, in their Methodist church. And my mom would say that as we were all fighting about theology things in the living room, she'd come out into the living room and say, I'm so glad I'm not smart enough to know what you're all talking about. I just know Jesus loves me. This I know. And that's all I need to know. And then she'd go back in. And my yeah. mom kept that faith until the day she died. And I held yeah. her hand and ushered her in to the arms of Jesus and to the arms of my father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And that's where I would say my faith has landed. Like, it's just this, ah, oh, I, I know the universe is good. I, I, I know that. I know there's good in, in us. And mm-hmm. I believe in the person of Jesus. And I believe that when I read what he did and said, yeah, do I know all the ins and outs? No, but right. I don't think anybody does. And I think right. that's okay. I'm okay with that. So yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's no, and I, I've, I've kind of, I've landed in a very similar spot. Yeah. After doing a lot of historical studies, you go, hey, you know, the, the love ethic of Jesus is still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, when you strip away all the mistranslations and all the doctrines that don't, didn't come from him, or the earliest follow students, yeah. he's got a very progressive message that we should follow. And, you know, yeah. whether you call him the Messiah or something else, there's a, there's a very uh, important, um, valuable, cr- critical love ethic that we can follow. And that can be something that really um, helps us personally and helps us as a society. But you can do that, in my mind, outside of Christianity. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the key. You get out of the religious system and you yeah. find a way to make it work for you. And you, and you might call yourself a humanist. You might call yourself right. still a, a Christian. But if you're outside that bubble that we've been talking about, yeah. then there's, uh, there's different ways that you can express that. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So what's the name of your podcast? Uh, it's called The Sacred Thoughts podcast. Okay, so everyone, Karen's got a great uh, new podcast, Sacred Thoughts. 
And I assume, do you have a website or where do they find that? Yeah, KarenRuthShock.com. Okay, KarenRuthShock.com. We'll put yeah. that in the notes of the this YouTube version and the podcast. Cool. And uh, they can find your podcast and your book on Amazon. Yes. Um, too Much and Not Enough, Karen Shock. Check it out. It's a great book, um, a unique style, but it really, really uh, resonates and is very effective. So, Karen, it's been great to have you on and uh, get to know you more. Mine, right? What's you that? On, will you come be on mine at some point? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll talk about my book. Yes, that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> oh, there Your it is book. behind me, right there on the shelf, Breaking Bad Faith. Yes. Yeah, right, right. So, um, yeah, that's kind of encapsulates my, you know, where, where, where I'm, um, how, what I've rebuilt so far. Right. And, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, so, um, great. Well, we, we kind of ran out of time, uh, wish we could go on for, for longer, but thank you so much for being on the spiritual brew pub in the morning. We drink coffee in the evening. We drink beer, but <laughs> so we I drink coffee. That. <laughs> so uh, I got to have more evening shows, though. I'm, I'm just not enough of them. But oh, we'll uh, do that then when I yeah, interview you. Oh, there you go. Okay, cool. Yeah. Then we can they can then we can drink beer. Okay, okay. <laughs> or whatever you want. Yes. So um, great. So thanks again, um, uh, folks. Um, stay tuned for the next uh, episode of and check out Karen Shock and her book and her podcast. Wonderful, wonderful conversation with you. Um, uh, I wish the wish you the best. You too. Thank okay. you so much. All right. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. Enjoy responsibly.